The podcast you're about to hear is a combination of two podcasts that are basically about a month old. I haven't been a, I haven't done a podcast in a while and part of that is because of work, part of that is because of family time, part of that is because of holidays. It's a whole mess of reasons. Part of that is because I'm focusing more on writing. There's a whole mess of reasons why, but fear not. <laughs> I am back in some capacity. I'm going to try to do one pod per week, either on a Tuesday or a Friday for the foreseeable future. Trying to get pods out has been, uh, I, I want to do them. It's not like I don't want to do the podcast. It's not like it's a chore to do the pods. I mean, my what I do for a living is basically this on a bigger scale. However, just the time to do it and booking guests and yada, 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 yada. It, no one wants to hear it. As you know, they say in DPH or in Rothenberg, no excuses, play like a champion. Well, this is my no excuses. This is this is no more, no mas. We're back. And the two podcasts you're about to hear are about Tobin Anderson going to Iona and replacing Rick Pitino as the head coach of the Iona Gales with my good friend Chris Lynch. And at the time... You're going to hear me start the podcast off saying for the third week in a row. Well, at the time, it was the third week in a row that Chris and I sat down and had a conversation. And it was very reminiscent of WICR. And if you listen to that show, the first half of this podcast will be a blast from the past. The second part of the pod is a conversation I had with the first ever guest of this podcast, Dayton Brown, about the All-NBA. And now we recorded that. Again, it's going on two and a half weeks at this point, but I still think it's the right choices given the end of the season, given that uh, the MVP conversation, I think we got it correct two and a half weeks ago and it still holds up there. So wait to the back half of the podcast to hear both Dayton's thoughts on the All-NBA and my thoughts on the All-NBA. The teams haven't changed, even though... Some ridiculous stuff has happened. Teams haven't changed. I still think the 15 players that we came to a conclusion on, respectively, are the 15 best players in the NBA. So, I know it's going to be a long one, but we are back for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Sit back, enjoy it. It's a beautiful day here in the New York area. I'm on Long Island. It is probably the best day of the year. I decided not to go to the beach today to edit these podcasts for your enjoyment. So sit back. If you are near an AC unit, if you have the ability to to drink a beer, have one on me. Cheers to the podcast returning. Sit back and enjoy. You're listening to the Grind Hours Podcast. At the wall! See ya! See ya! Joining me for a third week in a row. This feels like our old days at Iona on WICR. It you really, missed me so much, my friend. <laughs> it really feels like the semester that we did a show together. 
that voice you're hearing is Chris Lynch, the everything but a Zamboni driver for the Danbury Hat Tricks. A resident Iona fan who is now back to his childhood roots, rooting for UConn. But that's not the reason why he's on today. He's not on to talk about the UConn Huskies and if they can win a national title or not. We're talking about our alma mater (laughs) because that'll be a podcast for a different time. But we're talking about our alma mater because, Chris, I cannot remember a day in recent memory where Iona was the epicenter of college basketball. It is. And it starts yesterday with Rick Pitino moving on from Iona to St. John's. And I want to start off the podcast by saying this. I might not agree with Patino personally on some things, but I'm not going to say one bad word about the man because of what he did for my school, for that program, and what he did, not only for Iona, but for the MAC in general. I don't think that there is a St. Peter's-type run without Patino at Iona. They're not gunning for Patino. Everybody else, Iona had a bullseye the size of New York City on their back with Patino there. And all the slings and arrows that were thrown at him his first year. He did a tremendous job at Iona. And again, I'm not going to badmouth him one iota because of what he did. And Chris, you might feel differently, but I wish him the best of luck. I said on Twitter that the challenge ahead for Patino at, at uh, St. John's is immense, but he is the only man in the country that is capable of digging them out of the hole that they're currently in. And I'm excited for it because, you know, majority of my family is St. John's fans. So he goes from my home to my family's home at St. John's. I'll be, I'll probably be in the building for a bunch of St. John's games next year, whether that's at Carneseca or most likely at MSG. And we will talk more specifically a little bit because we have a, there's a little bit to talk about with the transfer portal, both with Iona and, and with St. John's. But Chris, how would you, how, one, how do you remember the Patino era at Iona? And what do you think about the move? Um, well, I mean, you can go back and listen to the very end of the last podcast I was on with you, the last segment of the last podcast that I was on with you when mm-hmm. we discussed this very topic. And this didn't come as a surprise to either of us. No. Um, this, like, I thought it would be more likely for him to stay at Iona if it was a one and done type situation. Uh, you were more correct than I was, certainly, but we both thought that if he was going to leave for anywhere, it was going to be for St. John's. Like, if I genuinely think if the St. John's job did not come open this year, Patina would still be the head coach of the Gales. I think that was because I mentioned this beforehand, but I don't think he really wants to leave his now established home base of like the immediate New York city metro area. And the only he doesn't want to find a new golf course is what he doesn't want to go. He's a member at Wingfoot. He doesn't want to find another golf course in DC. To be fair, that's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. Amazing. And there are plenty of 
tremendous golf courses in the DC metro area and in Virginia and in Maryland. I get it. Yeah. But he's a member at Wingfoot. Yeah, you don't want to give that up. No. Um, and also, like, he it's a unique opportunity to go to St. John's because New York City is not a great college sports market. It just isn't. It is a professional sports. It's a little bit like Boston in the sense that, like, but I would still argue that Boston is a better college sports market because of all the love and passion that goes into the beanpot there. Yeah, because but, of college hockey. Yep, college hockey does not exist at all in New York City. The and and also like Boston College plays big time meaningful ACC football. Not well, or at least like not <laughs> at the top flight of it. Especially they don't play like ACC basketball all that well. But no. they at least play it. St. John's plays in the Big East. They play the the basketball team at St. John's plays the biggest sport. And actually I'd argue that St. John's baseball is your second best or your second biggest sport because you, you can see top flight major league players eventually play in the big East. Like UConn has produced a couple of those guys who have gone on to have major impacts and people like Matt Barnes and George Springer, they came from UConn, and St. John's UConn's has been ranked in, in college baseball, and oh, they yeah. made the, the the World Series. But yeah, so 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 Patino has that opportunity, and it was one of the few places he could have gone in the market, like in the New York City market, that was a serious step up as as far as like these sorts of competition you can get, and also it's a real indictment on the past administration and past coaching staffs at St. John's, that they were not able to use their very best recruiting chip, which is they play in New York City. I harped on that a bunch of times the last time we spoke, but they have the biggest media market in the country. They should not have any trouble attracting top-flight talents, and now they have even less excuse. Well, uh, that excuse doesn't exist anymore. Oh, no, it's gone. It's gone, and it should never be floated or thought about again, and they should be starting well, we'll to see. We'll see what as, happens eventually yeah. when Patino decides to move on from St. John's one way or another. Yeah, which I think this will probably be his last job. I think the St. John's job, like he'll coach never for say a never. couple of more years. He, we, I said I think. I didn't yeah. say it would be because like, I don't think, I don't think he's going to try and go back to the NBA. I think no, that he it, is he is sticking to being a college basketball coach. And I think he genuinely believes that he can win and win in a big, serious, top-flight way at St. John's. Because if you look at the long-term history of that program, there's no reason why St. John's should not be competing for uh, for the championship. But I let agree me, with before, that. Be, but before we go back on to anything else, as far as Patino's tenure at Iona, and I feel kind of very fortunate because I got to do the radio calls of his games, of his call for WICR. Um, it was so cool. It was mm-hmm. so unbelievably great to call. I got to call his 800th game. That he I won. was working that game. Oh, it was unbelievable. It, um, it was one of the absolute most remarkable points. I'll, I'll shoot you an email of the – I have the call somewhere. I'll shoot you uh, the audio of it if you, if you want to hear that. Um, it was it, it was one of the 
most remarkable things I got to call as a part of the Iona Gales in my time on campus there. And his teams, they practiced hard. They worked relentlessly. They could run. They were in better shape than most of their opponents. He knows exactly how to get every single piece. And you meet him, and you're immediately just like, the way he carries himself, you know he's the most important person in the room Mm -hmm. in basically every single room he walks in. And I'm a Celtics fan, and yes, he did draft Paul Pierce, but really any (laughs) idiot who had the 10th pick after Pierce fell to him in the ninety in the ninety eight draft, would have deserved to have been fired for not taking him. In fact, a bunch of general managers ahead deserved to get fired. For well, not Patino's. I don't Pierce. want to talk about Patino's Boston tenure. For the majority of it, it, it oh, it was he, terrible. He sunk that franchise into the ground. But, yes, as a Celtics fan, I'm aware of this. But, but as uh, but as a college coach, he's one of the most remarkable college coaches, like college basketball coaches, the sport has ever seen. He's on the Rushmore. Easy. Yep. Yep. Um, and the fact that he was like, Iona was a successful program before Patino got there. It's not like among the mid-majors, Iona was not a poverty program. They had made, they're one of the more successful programs as far as winning the MAC tournament, winning their conference championship multiple, multiple, multiple times. In fact, like 2019, the year, um, the season before the pandemic shortened season, before the tournaments uh, were, was canceled, Iona had won the MAC tournament. I think it was like four years in a row before mm-hmm. Patino got there. And I think, I genuinely think his most remarkable year coaching at, of the three years that he coached with the Gales was, was the first one because Iona had more games canceled than any other NCAA Division I program that actually attempted to play that season. They had more games canceled than anyone else. And Patino was only like by dint of like, the way that the seeding and win percentage worked out, he only got a six seed in the MAC tournament. He still led his team to the to the NCAA tournament and won the MAC championship mm-hmm. his first year there. I think that's his most remarkable season that he had while he was in New Rochelle. So he was a tremendous coach, and also a lot of his talented players that he brought there are now leaving. And I would not be surprised if a bunch of them are going over to Queens for uh for next season on that note we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about potentially the the thing that is just destroying and enhancing college basketball all at once back after this SeatGeek is the number one ticket app for buying and selling tickets sports fans music fans comedy fans theater fans fans of tickets Use my code GRINDHOUR to get into the building to get yourself a seat. Again, that's code GRINDHOUR at checkout for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app. One more time, code GRINDHOUR. That's G-R-I-N-D-H-O-U-R at checkout. Right in the first part of the podcast, we said our goodbyes to Rick Pitino as the head basketball coach at Iona and said hello to him at St. John's. Chris, you alluded to the transfer portal at the end of the first segment. And as of recording at 8.39 p.m. Eastern time, 
on March the 21st. Nelly Jr. Joseph is in the transfer portal. Walter Clayton Jr. is in the transfer portal. Quince Lazinski, transfer portal, as is Cruz Davis. I don't think Nelly will follow him to St. John's because of Soriano and Soriano already being named captain. They have a center. I don't really think Nelly wants to play power forward again. As good as he is and as versatile as, as he is, I don't. I think he wants to go somewhere that will allow him to continue to play center. That's probably right. Walter Clayton Jr., on the other hand, I think has a prime ticket to Queens and will be playing for St. John's next year. And oh, am I excited for that because the season that he had was tremendous. Tremendous. Especially last year, he was this raw prospect that nobody knew what we had in him. He was getting some minutes, but didn't really know what to do with them. He was going to be a wide receiver. I, I, he was getting college, major yes. one college offers to play wide receiver places like Florida State. That so was you, his number one thing when you, you're like, oh, and Walter Clayton Jr. is in the game, and, and he's you know a highly touted wide receiver as well as basketball player. And for some of the, of the, some of the games where he just had, I mean, he was coming into his own. It was like a baby deer trying to walk. It was like, well, maybe he should play college football instead. It was he had some of those games. This year, he was a star, and it was his team. And as good as Nelly was, and I, he was the straw that stirred the drink with the Gales. And Patino loves him. If he comes over, Patino is going to welcome him in open arms and and just drape the red and white over him. And he will easily be in the running for best guard that St. John's has had in a decade. And everybody in Queens is going to love this kid. They don't know it yet, but if he does go to Queens, they're going to love him. Quinn, injury-shortened season. Oddly enough, a place like Marquette, I think, would be tremendous for him. I mean, and, Quinn, out of out of those guys who are leaving, I think Quinn is actually the least surprising because yes. he had a rough year, and I think it was uh, I think it was just time for him to uh, uh, for him to get a reset. By the way, so uh, a tweet from Zach Braziller from the New York Post: You want to transfer Walter Clayton Jr. He tells uh, has heard from St. John's, Florida, Kansas, and Ole Miss. He tells me, "Holy Kansas." Yeah. Oh my! Good for Walter, man. That dude. Uh, best. Bet wherever you go. I, this is a party. I'm. Not, there's no bitter feelings here. Yeah. No bitter feelings on this podcast. Go. I go. Mean, yeah. Go on to greener pastures, please. Wait, let me just let me just know quickly also about Walter. He was the best free throw shooter in the entire NCAA this past season. That's you not better believe. You better believe 95.3% free throw percentage this season. You better believe every single coach in the country would want him. I'm the Kansas one is fascinating. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I I bet Walter doesn't even believe it that he got a call from Bill Self, probably. But let let's be real though. If that call, if that call is real, and if Bill Self wants him to go to Kansas. 
If he goes to someplace that isn't Kansas, he's a moron. Ah, if he loves Patino, I understand it. Um, Kansas. I understand Kansas. I I get it. And also, if he actually has, like, a real chance to play, like, if he would be offered a chance to, like, be a a, a first guy in off the bench for Kansas, but he gets a chance to start. Yeah, which, um, which, like, I could absolutely see, like, Florida as well, I could see really working for Mm -hmm. him um, as being a spot where I think he gets like St. John's in Florida. I could see immediately. I can't, I mean, I would, I just don't know exactly who exactly they have coming in or what Bill Self really wants out of it. But the fact that that's a possibility is uh, I'm on the, and I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the Jayhawks. So like of the big Mm -hmm. college basketball teams that aren't UConn, I've always had a real soft spot for rock chalk Jayhawk. So I think that sounds like a wonderful opportunity, actually. But yeah, Quinn is the least surprising of the transfers. I actually think the one that hurts the most in truth is Cruz Davis because he, a young guy, he got much more confident as the season was going on. And he looked like he could develop into someone who could be a good number two option on the team next season and the number one option his junior year. Of the of the guys in the portal, I think he's most likely to stay. You think so? Yeah. I just because with the other three guys, there's tape. We know, okay, they have it. They and and they've showed it. Yeah. Well, Walter did it in the NCAA tournament. He showed it. He, he so I just think he's going to want out because Patino left and I get it. And players have that right to when their coach leaves, leave as well. I, I completely understand it. I would do it if I was a college basketball player. If the coach that recruited me was no longer there, I'd be like, what the hell? It happened to me it, it, much smaller level D3 swimming. I love the, Chris, if you're listening, not you, but um I love Coach Chris Brown. I love he is probably the best coach I've ever had. But I was unsure. I didn't know if I wanted to swim anymore because the coach that recruited me went on to a different college and coached a different college. And I was like, well, what's going on here? I came to swim for you, not not this dude. And and it ended up working fine. But I totally understand the person that recruits you wanting to play for them. And Cruz, totally get it. He was recruited by Patino. Patino left it, and he was like, "What the heck?" I, and I, I mean, that kind of it kind of leads into the third part of this podcast, and we will get to it in a minute. I will, uh, I will end on this. The transfer portal, the fact that we have kids entering the transfer portal, says a lot about this program. How many mid majors can you say that about? Besides, you know. St. St. Peter's last year, where they all followed uh, Shaheem Holloway over to Seton Hall. Well, Doug Edder didn't go with them. Doug Edder went to Bryant, actually. Right, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, oh, followed him out the door, yeah. Right, right. There's not many, you know, yeah. mid-majors that are drawing this much attention in the transfer portal. The only, like, Jalen Benjamin, who's clearly the best player on Mount St. Mary's, entered the transfer portal as well. And Manhattan has a couple of guys, but actually Jalen Benjamin would be a really good player for uh for Tobin Anderson to go and get 
like it's a not, good but... guard who could attack. Um, that would that would be a fun player to go and get and add in the portal. And I'm sure that Coach Anderson was thinking about that already. But uh, but no, it's it's an interesting sign. It it's the wild west now. Yes. Of of college sports, like when when I was around college hockey every single day for like from the 16 17 season more or less till the 2020 season and partially in the 21 and 22 seasons, I saw such a wild advancement from the start of my time doing college hockey until the end where every single team had a guy who entered the transfer portal at some point. It felt like, I mean, every single team, like the national championship teams, uh, two years <laughs> like college football had, that same sort of thing. It's just, it's different now. And there's so much more mobility and we're almost professionalizing collegiate sports, which I don't know exactly how good a thing that is. I know that it is the direction we're on and it was kind of inevitable with how much, with how profitable these sports are for the schools that the players are going to go out and search for that sort of thing. Also, Not to say that it with- doesn't, with the dumpster fire that the NCAA has been for decades, it was yeah, ended it was, up being this is this is the cesspool that that culture created, and, and they didn't prepare for it. They had a feeling or had a thought that something like this was going to come down the pike, and they did not prepare for it. Yeah, at they thought all. it was going to happen thirty five years from now, not not now. five years, not right now. So yeah, it, that just shows you everything you need to know about the NCAA. But to you know. I forget who said this. I heard this somewhere. I don't know if it's Jay Billis or, you know, talking through a coach or whatever, but it's like the coaches have to re-recruit the players they already have on roster every year, as well as go out and recruit other talent because they don't know who's going to end up in the transfer portal at the end of the year. So it is the wild West. I, I understand it. I get it because the coaches can do the same thing and they don't get nearly as much slack as when the, the kids do it. So, yeah. Well, actually, and... so, so very, just very quickly, Tom mm-hmm. Izzo had the line of, he went on the Dan Patrick show and uh, had the line, I still love my job. I love going to work. I love going to practice. I'm a little questioning of my profession right now, speaking in reference to the transfer portal. And Izzo, uh, look, Izzo is in that rarefied position among all college coaches where he is at one of the top programs and he does not he's not going to leave michigan state there's less than no reason for him to go anywhere so but he still has to go out and recruit how many college coaches are in the position that izzo is in zero bill bill self is the only other one I don't think, see, I don't even think it, and and this is just because of how ingrained Izzo is with the Spartans. I think Bill Self could still go on and and coach somewhere else. Where? I I don't know, Kentucky, when Calipari leaves. It's just, there's, there's an aura around Izzo that there isn't yet with Self. Dude, Izzo has one national championship. All that time at Michigan State, self is two. I I get it, I get it, but there's maybe it's just because it's the longevity of Izzo there. 
maybe that's the reason why I'm saying it. But I, I don't yes. think there is a coach in the country that has that is as important to the school that he coaches as well as in the the godfather position that Izzo is in that uh, one Rick Pitino hopes to find himself in shortly. But we'll take one more quick break and we'll talk about the new man, the new Rochelle, back after this. All right, Chris, we've buried the lead long enough. The person that will fill the gigantic shoes left by Rick Pitino, it's a very hot name right now, one Tobin Anderson, formerly the coach of FDU, the, the team that slayed the dragon that is Purdue, figuratively and literally. And for me, it's the right guy for the job. Just like Pitino is the right guy in St. John's, the level of player now that Tobin Anderson can go and recruit, plus the players that he already looks for, meaning the workers, the hard workers, the team, the people that are not going to take days off and minutes off and practices off, the people that are going to out hustle you and continue to be conditioned in the position where they're running laps around the competition. And his coaching staff. If he does bring some of the guys from the FDU staff with him, I think that'll be the hardest working coaching staff in the MAC and up there with hardest working in the country. Because yeah. of what Tobin Anderson has said in his media availability post the FDU win over Purdue. And I just, I'm glowing from this hire because I was nervous. And you and I had a conversation when the news broke about my nervousness with the person that was going to fill the shoes of Patino. And not undeservedly so, by the way. Right. You're replacing a legend. And it's not an easy job. But Tobin Anderson doesn't take easy jobs. Yeah. And he puts his foot on the grindstone. He puts his nose next to the grindstone and works his rear end off. And I think New Rochelle, as demanding as it is, they're going to love this guy because of so, who he is. Yeah. So let me quickly run through his profile and his background, his long-term, because people know an awful lot of like the immediate and the most recent thing mm -hmm. that he did, which is really the game that I think got him the step up, which is absolutely. And, and giving a Florida Atlantic team a real good, honest fight. Like this wasn't, a case in which you have one upset game and then you just don't have enough steam that that fairly Dickinson team had legs against Florida Atlantic uh, against an FAU team that honestly I predicted to make the sweet 16. Like I thought that Purdue would fall to Florida Atlantic. I did not think they'd fall to FDU. Uh, so I, and the fact that they gave them such a good fight against a team that was ranked for a lot of the season, that's a tremendous, like that says almost as much about his coaching jobs as the Purdue win. Um, but just let me very quickly run through. Um, he came up in the Division three and Division two mm -hmm. levels of college basketball. He did not go through the glamorous path. He went to Wesleyan, which is in Middletown, Connecticut, which is a NESCAC school. Uh, he was an assistant at Clarkson and LeMoyne in very upstate New York. Went back to be the head coach at Clarkson, which is Clarkson's a hockey school. Clarkson is not a basketball school. Mm -hmm. It's a Division three school at the very top of the state, 
was the head coach for a while at Hamilton, also in upstate New York, another NESCAC school, was the assistant at Siena, his first Division I job from 2011 to 13. So for two seasons, he was the top assistant on a pretty good Siena program. Uh-huh. Then he got his first like D2 head job at St. Thomas Aquinas College in Sparkill. And I saw that and I went, hey, wait a minute. I When I was at Iona, I called a ton of games at Pace University. And one of the teams that they played the most frequently was St. Thomas Aquinas because right there in, uh, in Sparkill, it's not that far to get uh, to get to uh, Pace's Westchester campus from from Sparkill. Um, and then he was only at Fairleigh Dickinson for one season before taking the Iona job. So this guy, and he has a quote as well. I didn't, I couldn't find it again before, before the, our, our talking about this, but he has talked about frequently, he's not, if you will, overly obsessed with like, the top levels of division one he's just as likely to see his friends at suny brockport play and to take his time out to go and watch and enjoy the division two and division three levels of college basketball as he is to go and watch kentucky play he loves that type of player who it's a similar type of thing that um um and i read sudden impact which is the um uh the uh the not sudden impact um I'll think of the name of the book. It's the book that Jerry Kramer wrote about the 1967 Green Bay Packers, about his the last season that Lombardi was head mm-hmm. coach of the Packers, in which he was quoted as saying, Lombardi preferred a player of relatively mediocre talent who would give you everything he had as opposed to a player of superior talent who would give you less than everything he had. So um, I think that I think he's genuinely a perfect, perfect um, player on uh, instant replay is the name of that book that, uh, that he put out. It's actually one of the great sports books. If you're ever looking for, uh, for a thing to uh, write, he co-wrote it with, um, uh, with Dick Schaap, the, uh, the great sports, sports, sports media man um that's genuinely if you're looking for like a great sports book instant replay is one of the best ones um so um he fits coach to uh, coach anderson fits and the next couple of months or i should say this next month is going to define an awful lot of what happens for him at iona because he has to hit the recruiting path to make sure that all the incoming freshmen who are currently committed to him stay committed to him or that he could flip a couple of guys if guys leave and he has to hit the transfer portal aggressively to get some people in the door for the first season so he can show some real um some real staying power for the future i have a little bit of a working relationship with Tobin Anderson. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, I was, you know, grabbing beers with him when he was at Hamilton. Not that guy. Sorry, not that guy. I've been, I've had a personal relation or a professional relationship with him for about a week and a half, two weeks, because (laughs) right before the tournament, I was working ESPN New York tonight and Larry Hardesty reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I have the SID's number for FDU. Reach out, see if we can get Tobin Anderson on to come on 
right before the 16 game, the, the playing game. And reached out to him, talked to Coach Anderson for about five minutes, got him on the show, Very came off very, very nice, very, very energetic, very, very charismatic. Went on ESPN New York tonight, was unbelievable with his ability to just not only talk up his program, but be personable. And you wanted to root like hell and run through a wall for the guy. And again, I met him for five, you know, I had a five minute conversation with him. Fast forward to Saturday, the last Saturday, right after they beat Purdue. Dan, I was working the Dan Grosser show that, that Saturday morning. The first interview he did nationally was with Dan the morning yeah. after at 9 a.m. On two hours of sleep, his phone died, so he had to use the SID. I, I think his name is Jordan, the SID at, uh, at FDU. Who was a junior in college, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Had to use his phone to do the radio hit on, on, on Grosh's show on Saturday. And Tobin Anderson said something on Saturday that really, really resonated with me and the reason why I'm talking so highly of him right now. And I've already, I've already reached out to Tobin Anderson and congratulating him on the Iona job, one as alum and two as, you know, just a fan. He said on Saturday, he's him and his coaching staff at FDU, they're used to, because a lot of his guys in that coaching staff were with him for years. <clears throat> they're used to driving the bus themselves to the game, going to the game, going to McDonald's afterwards, grabbing a bite to eat, getting everybody back on the bus and driving home. That's what they're used to. I know that lifestyle because I lived that lifestyle. For two years, I lived that lifestyle for months. I know what that I know exactly what that's like. I called D2, D3 basketball, and like I called it, I grew up calling games at MIT. I know that life. I, I am at MIT and Tufts and Framingham State. People who played Hamilton and people who played uh, and like Bentley up in the Boston area, they played St. Thomas Aquinas and Pace. So I I know what that that world is like too. It's it's a hard. People really don't understand no. how challenging the D three college life is. It is like it makes you appreciate the people who play that level of sport. They have a different sort of love for it than what the D one folks mm -hmm. have. Even the even the very low ends of D one, there's so much more opportunities there for like regular old creature comforts than there are at a lot of the best D3 programs. It's not pretty. You're not getting roses no. in, that, in those jobs. And the coaches love the sport that they coach more than – I'm not going to say more because, you know, in order to be great, you have to love what you do. But yeah. it's a different type. And that's why I think he's going to succeed at Iona. And if he shows that his first year to this fan base, who is Chris – you and I know it very well. Very, we're in it. very demanding. Yes, we are yes. now a part of it. Yeah. We were covering it. Now we are a part of it. We're very demanding. But we also, if you show us that, you're, that you want to work, that your teams want to work, we're going to love you. And you're going to be our guy. And that's, yeah. why I th that's what I think Tobin Anderson has the ability to do. And his story 
from going where he was a year ago to now, taking over an FDU program that won four games, and majority of his players were new players this year. So it was it's tremendous. Hats off to him. I feel sorry for FDU because that program got their moment in the sun, just like St. Peter's, and let's see if they can keep it. But thank you, Tobin Anderson, for taking the job. Best of luck to you. And Chris, I think that's a good place to end. If you want to add another quick note before we get out of here and tell the people what you got going on, now is the time to do so. I mean, FDU, I just want to add a quick note that I feel bad for our friend Carl Kalanges. Yes. Because his alma mater at St. Francis College, Brooklyn, is just getting – Fairleigh Dickinson will at least have a program. They will at least have – an athletic program, and they will have those moments. St. Francis College in Brooklyn is getting rid of their athletic program completely. It's a travesty, and if I was Carl, I would be a lot more irate and have a lot more select choice of words yeah. than he has put out publicly. But that's just me. Yeah. And Carl, that's why Carl is one of the best in this business. So, yeah. <sighs> but, you but, know, there's, um, for us and for our school, I think that I think Coach Anderson has an awful lot on his plate. I think that the I really do think the next like month or so is going to say an awful lot about whether or not because I wouldn't be surprised if there is like a slight step back for the Gales from from this past season to the next because there's still let's be frank there's still the possibility that Dennis Jenkins could go into the transfer portal. I wouldn't want to talk to anybody else with all NBA than the first guest on this podcast. When Dayton Brown, Dayton, you are one of these people on, on the pod that have just way too many jobs over the years. What are you doing nowadays? Hey man, first of all, it's an honor to be back on here and absolute honor to be the first ever uh, guest on your show. That's awesome. Uh, right now, spot pod network. It's who I'm rolling with right now. Um, currently, mainly busy with with day to day job and being a dad. But Spot Pod Network uh, on Twitter, give them a follow. Doing a lot of NFL content for the most part. But NBA, we're in regards. Uh, this is probably my favorite thing overall to talk about, especially this season with just how competitive it's been overall. So I'm really excited to delve into our topics today. We're going to go in reverse order, so third to first team. And Dayton just jumping into it here. The guards for me were, was probably the hardest part of all these teams. Um, that and third team center, which I'll get into in a minute. But since you're the guest, who makes your third team All-NBA for 2023? Man, I'm with you. Guards was so hard for all three teams. Um, first of all, having to leave guys off, um, and then just the order of having first to third. A um, couple of honorable mentions I just want to throw out real quick that I had John Morant, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton, Duran Jackson Jr., Pascal Siakam. Kevin Durant didn't meet the uh, minimum amount of games as far as I'm concerned or isn't going to. Uh, LeBron as well. DeMontis Sabonis I do not have on my third team. So for my third team, Shy Gilgis Alexander. Okay. I feel like if 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 you got him on second team, totally valid too. I, I struggled with that. De'Aaron Fox, 
Um, I feel like it was a toss-up between him and another guard I have on second team. Again, um, you can definitely put him on there. He is a big reason. First of all, with with SGA, we're talking about a guy who is one of the most efficient guards in the NBA. Um, He has revitalized that Oklahoma City swag. They are really, really good for how, I guess, young and overall just inexperienced they are. Um, And their trajectory has exponentially gotten better because of SGA and his development this year has been great. Darren Fox, kind of the same story. He's revitalized that Sacramento Kings team. A lot of other factors have fallen into place with that, but he's been the forefront of that. He's really coming to his own. I love his game. I think that uh, he, he belongs definitely um, on this list third or third or second. For my forward, I really wanted to put KD, but again, he's not going to, he's going to, even, even if he plays these last seven games, he doesn't meet, meet that 50 game requirement. I have Julius right. Randle up there. Um, the Knicks are playing really well. Julius Randle is um, top 15 in the league in a lot of categories. He's scoring the ball really well. Um, he's shooting about 50 or uh, sorry, 47%, um, which is, I believe, the best mark of his career outside of that wild season he had a couple of years ago. Um, I think he belongs on 13. I believe he was 13 all NBA uh, a couple of years ago. I think he belongs on this list. Two seasons ago, yep. Laurie Markinen, I have okay. on my third team, my other forward. Um, again, a guy who this is his third NBA team in a short um, NBA career, and he's really found his own gear there in Utah. And they've been a much better team than people expected because of him. Likely not going to make the playoffs, but um, he was an all-star starter. Um, deservedly so. I think he be- he belongs on this third team. Um, and for my center, um, it's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is oh, a fantastic okay. player. He, again, with LeBron out, um, the Lakers made all those trades, and yes, they got better overall. But Anthony Davis has been that anchor for them on both ends of the floor. He's one of the most efficient, not only scorers and rebounders in the NBA. He's also one of the most efficient defenders when he actually wants to try. And the majority of the time this season, he is. Um, again, he's missed some time due to an injury like he has every season. But you can't really ignore what he's done. Um, his talent is still there. I think he's still in his prime. And, um, yeah, it was really hard. I, I want to put Sabonis on, on that third team, but uh, I had to lean Anthony Davis. His, his stats and his play, he just really jumps out to you. So that's my third team. I, I'm really interested to see what yours are compared to that. Mine's a little different. First, I'm I like to start it, with – you can call this a legacy pick all you want. I'm going to go Steph Curry. And the reason mm. why, he's averaging a 50-40-90. And it's just ho-hum. It's, oh, yeah, sure. Warriors suck on the road. Steph is, but Steph is doing what Steph does. Like, he's just, yeah. he's having, if this Steph season was in any other season, he's top five, top three in MVP voting. Yeah. You can't tell me otherwise. Look at his stats. It, it is average, in air quotes, for him, but in terms of, and this year, you know, score it's a scoring explosion. That's a different podcast for a different time. But what Steph is doing for this just to seem normal is absurd to me. And I know he's hovering around that 50-55 game mark. He's got to play the last couple of games here in order to hit that. But for me, I just – I can't put past what – Steph Curry is doing this year to leave him off. 
I just I can't do it. I don't care how bad his team is on the road. I don't care if they barely make the playoffs. I don't care if they win a it's a regular season award and mm-hmm. Steph Curry is still one of the best 15 players in the league. So he is my first guard spot. This one's I love tough that. for me. This one's really tough for me cuz I toiled with a bunch of guys. My all of my all NBA teams except for two guys were in pencil. Every or in pen. Everybody else was in pencil. I had two guys in the first team that were pen. Everything else mm-hmm. was in pencil. So my next guy is Jalen Brunson. Mm. I've watched okay. part of it's partially because I've watched pretty much every single minute of Brunson's career as a New York Nick because I work at 98.7 and we carry the games. So I'm privy on a nightly basis to what Brunson does. Brunson is the guy in New York. He is arguably the most famous person in New York, athlete-wise. He's neck and neck there with Judge. If the Knicks go on a tremendous postseason run, he is going to overtake Judge in terms of popularity in New York City. I just, I love his game. What he's done has, and I, I like the signing initially. I, and everybody that talks about Jalen Brunson says it's the exact same thing. What he has done this season has just went way far and beyond what everybody else expected of him or expected what he could be this year. And he's done great. He has catapulted that conference finals run with Dallas last year into showing that that wasn't a blip on the radar. That's who he is, and he's taken the Knicks franchise from just barely, barely sustainable to a playoff contender. So Brunson gets the second guard spot. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. The forwards for me are the same. Um, Marketing, what he's doing. If you go back far enough into this podcast catalog, when he got drafted on draft night, I was actually in Italy recording the podcast in a car. In a car, <laughs> I gave it an F plus plus or an F minus minus minus. Oh no! I I thought it was the worst possible pick Chicago could have had. I thought he was going to be a bust, and for a large portion of his career, I was right. But here I am, years later, eating crow. So. Marketing third team, what he's done with the Jazz. They were the the most fun team to watch in the NBA for a short period of time. Yep. Before the, before the light, the beam stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Utah was the talk of the NBA and what they were doing in the first half. So marketing gets the, the second guard spot. Randall, as much as I don't like him, uh, I think, you know, what he does on the court is just – he thinks he's a superstar. He thinks he's the best player on the floor. He's not even the best player on his team, and he thinks he's the best player on, on the floor. That stuff rubs me the wrong way, but what he does on a night-to-night basis, he can go off for 60. I mean, he damn near did it the other night. He went for 50-plus in the garden. Randall, what he's done in uh, company with Brunson, I got to put him there. And third-team center, I'm going to get some slack for this, but Nikola Vucevic. I know his team's dreadful, but true center, I'm not going to go. Davis, to me, 
missed too much time. I know his yeah. spurts were, you know, Anthony Davis of old, but Vucevic plays in all the games. He's averaging a double-double. I believe he's top three in rebounds. I think he's first in rebounds overall. Honestly, I was I was looking. He's he, I I actually think that that is a really good pick right there at uh, center. He, he him and Brunson were also two of my honorable mentions. And Vucevic also was uh, ever since he's come to Chicago, he's really been a good player. So I think that's a good pick right there. At, he's uh, been up and down, center. but this year I just think you know in totality yeah. that team has been awful and and, and injury exactly. bad luck. But he's a he's been good. It's weird because. He went from a dreadful situation in Orlando to now a dreadful situation in Chicago. I, I just I think he's a good player, but I don't know where he fits in to if you want to win a championship, if you can have him on the team, which is weird putting him in my all NBA teams, but I kind of want to go for centers. I kind of want to go traditionally. And Vucevic is He's the best play. Mm-hmm. Respect. What about your second team? Second team. Okay. You thought it was crazy to have Steph Curry on your on your third team. Steph Curry is my second team all NBA card. <laughs> I almost had him first team, believe it or not. No, he hasn't um, played. He, if you if you put him first team, uh, I would have said no. Yeah. He belongs on the list, but no, because of the because of the games. So he's at 50 right now. So if he plays out the rest of the season, he's over 55. So he, he's going he's to meet the threshold as long as he stays healthy. What he's done there for Golden State, yes, they're terrible on the road, like abysmal on the road, like historically bad. Historically, for, yes. For, for defending champions, like not even close bad. But without Steph Curry playing in the you know minimal games that he's playing this season, the Warriors would be, I mean, where would they be? And they, they, they would be out of the playoffs. He is um, first in the league in three-pointers made. His stats compared to his unanimous MVP season, again, it's in limited time. But you look at that, it's almost like Crime Curry has just never left, or he left and then just came right back. It is right. incredible to watch him play. You, you, you're right. You can't leave him off this list. Um, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't really put him on, on first team with the amount of games that he's missed. So, uh, really but second team. on Curry. Yeah. Yes. He's not where, where do you think he's going to finish MVP voting wise? Top 10? Mm, yes, top 10 for sure, for sure. But no, I don't think I don't think he'll finish like top 7. He's not finishing top 5. There's no way he finishes top, top 5. five. No. He might be 10. No. He might be 10. He might be 10. And again, stack this year, you said it. Stack this year up against any other yeah. Steph Curry season. It might not be his best, but it's right there. And that's right. insane. And he insane. might not – you're right. He might not finish he, – yeah, he might finish at 10th for MVP voting. It is great. That's how competitive the season, especially with guards, um, right. which leads me to my second second uh, team guard, Donovan Mitchell. I think, um, you know, we talk about Laurie Markin and going to, uh, to Utah. You know, that was very impactful. But Donovan Mitchell going to Cleveland, we knew that was going to be – Super impactful. I I didn't imagine. I don't think most people imagine they would propel this far. Um, because again, Cleveland was already a good established team. They were in the plan a season to go after improving. You know, throughout the years, kind of revamp the roster, getting rid of Sexton, getting rid of uh, Laurie Markkinen, um, and really putting all their chips in with Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and Evan Mobley. And Donovan Mitchell has proven that he can be the leader there. 
um, highlight play after highlight play. Uh, he's a really efficient scorer there for Cleveland, and he is able to facilitate the ball really well. Again, top 15 in a lot of the NBA categories, and he's just been able to put his whole game together there. I really like what he's doing. Um, my forward, one of my forwards, first of the two forwards on the second team, I got Jimmy Butler. Uh, again, dude, hey. he doesn't want to be shooting those three pointers, but he doesn't, he doesn't need them. He's still he's still up there. He's still you know averaging over twenty six points a game uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, again, this is a guy who is able to have an impact consistently for this team, and it really bleeds throughout the entire team. Uh, they are better overall with Jimmy Butler. He's uh, top ten in win shares and per uh, this season. And that's without him, you know, being a good three-point shooter. Um, so, you know, he's been able to do everything for that team. The Miami Heat um, are – are and ever since he's been on the Miami Heat, they've just been a team to reckon with. And, and I really like Jimmy Butler's game. My other forward – this was really weird. And I, I had to double-check. I'm pretty sure he's going to meet the threshold or has already met the threshold. I got Kawhi Leonard there and my other forward. Um, the Clippers are Clippers are really good, man. The, the the Clippers they they might sneak into like a really big playoff run, and Kawhi Leonard's been doing Kawhi Leonard things, um, almost averaging double double. Uh, been really efficient. Um, uh, I I'll be honest, I didn't actually triple check to make sure he he met the threshold amount of games or is going to, but I'm pretty sure he's going to. Uh, so I had to put him on my second team. My center. Here's the thing. This was tough. Yep. Um. Yep. I didn't. I I really wanted to put two centers on the first team. Um, I wanted to rearrange it, but I can't. Um, this isn't really the center. I think the guy I have as my second team center. I don't think he's the second best center in the league, but I think that he should finish as the uh, second team center just based off of how good the first guy is. So Nikola Jokic is my second team All NBA center. Okay. Um. Again, he he is the most efficient player overall in the league. Number one in PER, number one in win shares, um, uh, offensive as well. Can facilitate the ball again. Jamal Murray returns. I'll get into my first team center when we get there, but I think the difference is. Well, there's only know, other he, one guy that you're going to talk about, and we're going to. I, I yeah. do want to. There is a wrinkle for the first team, and we'll get to it that I want to talk about. Yeah. There, but. I really want to rearrange how the first team is set up to make this work, but I don't but you think can't. I can. the thing you is, can't. It's not. It's not even that. Oh no, no, no! You're you're messing with positionless basketball and everything. It's the two forward slots. You yeah. can't do it. If there exactly. was uh, an open forward slot, fine by all means. It's your team. Go ahead. But yeah, and we'll talk. We'll talk about first team in a minute. But just going backwards, your second team is Curry, Mitchell, Butler, Kawhi. And Jokic, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Mine. You talked about SGA. Okay. I love SGA. I've loved him for a long, long time. I was very interested to see which way his career was going to go in Oklahoma City. It has gone probably as best it possibly could so far in Oklahoma City. So... I love this guy. I similar to Brunson. I thought he was going to have a good year this year. Not average thirty-two. Not do what he's doing. Not put up forty-five in the garden. Not not do. Not have signature moments. This year, I thought this was going to be another another building year where oh, okay, you know you, you can see him putting it together. Next year is where he's going to explode. 
No, he he's here now. And yep. he is I mean, some people are gonna have him on, on the first team. I and I wouldn't I'd be okay with the argument because of the, the leap that he's taken. I just I can't get over how good he is. And he is probably two or three on the short list of players that I'm like, oh, Oklahoma City's playing. I got to watch SGA. So he gets my first guard slot. Second, it's your guy, Dame Dalla. Mm, I like it. I mean, I know he's probably going to get shut down here soon for the rest of the year. But, I mean, you put up 71. You put a team uh, uh, on its back who, without Lillard on the floor, and I, I, I mean, no disrespect to you and, and Blazer Nation. Oh, they suck. Dreadful. Oh, they dreadful suck. They're without awful. Lillard on the floor. He is Absolutely that franchise. Great. Yep. And it's amazing that, that people just write this dude off. They forget about him year after year after year. And he's got to put up 71 and go, oh, yeah, th- hey, that's right. Dame is like that. He is that dude. And God, he is he's so good. He's so good. And again, the year that he is putting up, statistically, I think I believe it's his best year ever. And I know where that contract's gonna go and everything, but right here, right now, I mean, seriously, there's like three guards better than him in the in the league. And he gets slept on so much. Him and SGA are probably in the same category of great players that nobody talks about because, you know, they're in Oklahoma City and, and in Portland. And right. whether he might, uh, you know, there's rumblings of whether he'll get traded in, in, in the offseason or not. Regardless, again, he is going, he's one of those players that in, Five to ten years, they're going to be like, oh, you remember how good Dame was? He's probably going to have an Iverson arc to the mm. end of his career where his prime is not going to be appreciated as much as it probably should have been. And the fact that he's done all of this up to this point and still be one of the top four guards in the NBA is astonishing. And he's got to get my second guard slot. I'm going to go a little positionalist right here. I'm going to go Donovan Mitchell for the first forward. I know he doesn't really categorize and he's, you know, he's a short guard anyway. But yeah. his season stacked up against everything else. And I know you could put Jalen Brown. You could put Jimmy Butler. You could put Kawhi. To me, Mitchell's season's just better. And... He's one of the best 15 best play- one of the 10 best players in the league this year. And I think it would be a crime for what he did and I'm going to compare him to Brunson a little bit. He just took a franchise that was almost there, not as in a you know deep dark hell as the Knicks were, but he took a team that was oh maybe they can make a leap to They've made the leap. 
they're going to be an interesting team in the playoffs to watch because of Mobley and, and the switchability on defense. And, I mean, Donovan Mitchell could just go for 60 and there's nothing you can do about it and take over the game. And, and there goes your season. So, and Mitchell also had this narrative around him that he wasn't a number one guy. And he went to Cleveland, got his own team, truly. And he is the number one guy. And he should be celebrated as such. So he's my sec. He's my first forward. You don't want to put Sabonis on any of your teams. I have light the beam and the reason for everyone lighting the beam as my second forward slot. He is the entire offense. I know Fox and his crunch time stats are historic video game esque and just ludicrously eye popping off the page. But you watch Sacramento on a night in and night out basis. Every single play, the ball touches Sabonis's hands, whether he's scoring, assisting or a hockey assist. It's going through him. He is the reason for that turnaround. And if you told me that he was going to be this good when he was in Indiana, I would have said, uh, there's probably like a two and a half percent chance that happens. He's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I, for a large majority of the season, was like, eh, yeah, you know, Sacramento's cute. I didn't really, I didn't really watch them that closely. They're good. I've watched them a lot in the past two months. They're good. He's good. And he's the reason why they're good. They're the best story in the NBA, regardless of the light, the beam stuff. They're going to break that playoff record or the playoff drought of 16 years. They're going to break the, the losing record of 16 years. And again, Sabonis is the straw that stirs the drink in Sacramento. And his season, just like Markkanen's season, should be rewarded. And damn, is he is he good? Center. This was the most difficult decision, and I'm going to say who okay. I have, and then after the break, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. I have Nikola Jokic as my ah, let's go center. It pains me. But we will talk about why it pains me and the discussion of MVP right after the break. Feed Hudson Valley is a regional food rescue and harvesting network in the Hudson Valley operating through Dutchess, Orange, Ulster, Columbia, Green, Putnam, and Sullivan counties. It links donors of prepared but unserved food and fresh produce with nonprofits and food assistance programs. Through an app-assisted network, of food donors, volunteers, and feeding agencies. Feed Hudson Valley facilitates the harvesting, processing, and distribution of locally grown or produced agricultural products, self-stable food donations, and prepared nutritious foods. The app used is called Chowmatch, and it is easy for volunteers to download and use. Among the donors are restaurants, farms, food makers, stores, hospitals, and universities. The food assistance programs include food pantries, soup kitchens, and shelters. Volunteers are matched through the Chow Match app when a donation is available. They can indicate that they are available to make a run and then pick it up 
for a donor and deliver it to the agency. The Feed Hudson Valley Network currently includes over 300 volunteers, 130 donors, and 95 receiving agencies. Last year, on average, Feed Hudson Valley re rescued and redirected over 12,000 pounds of food each month. Feed Hudson Valley could use more donors and volunteers. To learn more and sign up, visit feedhv.org. Again, that's feedhv.org. One more time, spelled out, F-E-E-D-H-V.org. Now back to the podcast. All right, to close it out, first we will talk about MVP. And Dayton, I want to introduce you to a segment that I completely bit off of PTI, but we're going with it. Also, so I will ask you, Dayton, again, we're talking with Dayton Brown. Whose legacy will be most impacted by this year's MVP? Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid? That is such a great question. And you'd think the obvious answer would be Joel Embiid because Nikola Jokic already has two MVPs. I mean, he's the reigning two-time MVP. But if Nikola Jokic can get this third MVP, and, and here's the thing, any other year, Nikola Jokic is, I think, surefire again MVP like he's been the last two seasons. And if he can win three in a row, that's 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 just about unprecedented. Like, that does not happen, especially in, in, in today's NBA. We see back-to-back. We don't you know see who it the last three-time MVP was? Ooh, who was the last three-time MVP? I, I, Larry Legend. That's it. So what, That's the list, kids. That's back it. in the 80s. So it's been since the 80s. So that is absolutely wild if he can pull that off. So I'm going to say Jokic, that legacy is more. Now, it's more so if he wins it. I don't think he's going to. My my my. Well, I guess we'll get to it, but. Here's the thing. If, if he wins it, that is an absolute, like, that's beyond legendary. If Joel Embiid, a lot of his legacy, though, because his window might be closing. This, this may be the only year he's able to get an edge on all of these guys because of how great these guys. I mean, look at how Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum is only going to get better. Damian Lillard heck, could, if everything comes together for Portland, I'm being optimistic. If everything comes together for Portland, Next season, that's that's that might be one final hurrah for Lou. Or he, he go, could go, and I don't want to. Or he goes somewhere Dame, else. Whatever. Right. Yes, I don't want to strip Dame from you because I mean he's beloved in Portland. But if it's they true, do though, move on could, from him and he yep. takes a team to the playoffs and is the centerpiece and is having he can get MVP season that he's having this year, he could be in the discussion. You're right, one hundred percent. So the window may be closing for Embiid. So this also has a huge impact on his legacy if he's not able to come away with it. And if he is able to come away with it, I mean. Holy cow. I mean, you know, again, I know we've seen Jokic win it back to back, but centers winning MVP in this league is just does not happen, especially, you know, I think Embiid is more of a traditional center than Jokic by far. So to, to see that happen, to see him dominate and to see him come into fruition nine years after he's been drafted like this, just incredible story overall. And um, so, but I think Jokic, here's the thing. If he wins that third MVP, man, that is, that is just ridiculous. So, I'm, I'm going to say Jokic for this answer. I'm going the other way, and not just to be devil's advocate, because I think Jokic's legacy for now is right where it should be. He, he's not going to improve that much 
winning a third MVP. This is going to completely change the narrative around Joel Embiid because forever and still it's, oh, he's injury prone. He'll break down in the playoffs. He hasn't done much. He's a good player, but he doesn't, he can't really, he doesn't have any longevity. He doesn't really elevate his team that much. He He's not, he's a great player, but he's not a winning player. You can't really win with your when your best player is a center, and mm. it's going to completely change the narrative. It's going to change that he's injury prone. It's going to change that he's not a winning player. It's going to change that he hasn't had that much playoff success in his career, even though a large majority of it, of that is not his fault. So I think it's going to be Embiid, and we will talk about Embiid because I'll let you go first, but I assume your first team center and MVP is Joel Embiid. Uh, my first team center is actually uh, CJ McCollum. Yes, no. <laughs> Joel Embiid, first team center. He is. He's got my MVP vote. Uh, and I'm guessing our our first team. I might. I might kill some suspense here. I'm guessing that our first team, four of the five players, are going to be the same: Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic. Um, those. I think those are four pretty obvious dudes yep. right there. Joel, Joel Embiid at center. Um, again, when, when we talk about, he's leading the league in scoring, um, he has been doing it as, hold on, repeat that. He's leading the league in scoring as a center, as a center when over three point, the three point barrage is as big as it's ever been in the NBA. He takes three, three pointers a game. That's it. There's dudes taking 10, 15. Yep. He's taking three, and he's leading the league in scoring as a Over center. 33 points a game, shooting 55 for 54.5%, 55%. I'm going to call it 55. This is an 83. It's 2023. Yeah. This is, this is, this is unprecedented. This is crazy. And, and again, you can look at his, yes, he shoots a lot of free throws per game, but that's because teams have to foul him. Right. If they don't foul him, he's just going to drive to the bucket. And, and is, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? So he's also averaging over 10 rebounds per game, over four assists per game, almost two blocks per game. And he only has three and a half turnovers per game with the amount of um, usage rate that he has, which is top five in the league as a center, which is absolutely <laughs> crazy. And again, this is with James Harden. Again, he's missed a lot of time. James Harden has played uh, over 50 games um, in, in the season. And James Harden, Controls the ball quite a bit. He facilitates mm-hmm. the offense quite a bit. And Joel Embiid is still able to, uh, you know, get over four assists per game, get over 33 points, uh, and and able to dominate. And it's been amazing to see. He's got my MVP vote. And I think based off of the trend that we see with NBA voters, Joel Embiid's like the new – he's the new it guy. He's going to get the MVP nod. That's just my gut feeling. That's also part of the reason why I'm leaning towards Joel Embiid. He's the it guy this year, and I think that he more than earned it and deserves it. Um, I, I get that Denver is number one in the West and Philly is number three in the East, but the 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 difference between those two teams, I mean, they're both two really, really good teams. So I can't really split hairs on, you know, like what team is better than the other to give a nod. So I'm just going to go with my eye test and Joel Embiid has been the more dominant player throughout the entire season than, than Nikola Jokic, in my opinion. Giannis Antetokounmpo is my um, forward, mm-hmm. my first forward, I should say. Um, again, any other season that we've that we would see, uh, Giannis would be. I mean, he's top getting, three. He's top three in MVP voting. Top three, no doubt. Thirty-one points per game. He's shooting fifty-five percent as well. Um, again, and Giannis, 
you know, yes, he's listed as a power forward, and yes, that he can kind of play all over the floor, but mm-hmm. he's a seven, he's pretty much seven foot dude. He's 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 kind of playing center down there. You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's really he he has amazing footwork and he's really light on his feet. But he's a center, man. He's the 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 way that these guys are controlling the paint. Um, and he he's taking less than three uh, uh three three pointers per game. Two point eight doesn't shoot doesn't shoot it very well. So that's why he doesn't take it. Um, but the, the what he's been able to do almost twelve rebounds per game, almost six assists per game. Uh, super efficient overall. I really like what Giannis is doing, and and Milwaukee is Milwaukee right now is my pick for the championship. Just gonna get that out of the way real quick. Okay. If I pick a team right now, Milwaukee's my team to win the chip. My other forward is Jason Tatum. Yep. I think throughout the first couple months of the season, he was kind of the clear cut MVP. Um, yep. Well, they were the best team in the league. They were the best. Team the best in the league, I mean, and he Boston was the best was player on, on that fire. Team. Exactly. Boston was on fire. Tatum was the face of that. He was uh, scoring at will and doing it in a way that really just reminded you, and I and I don't really like to really compare, but. It really reminded you of dominant years that you saw out of like somebody like Kobe Bryant, you know, just somebody who can just score at will, super fluid with the ball, super great team on a historic franchise. Um, you know, he, he he's he's kind of been overshadowed by a lot of good play from other guys. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Tatum missed a little bit of time. A little bit, yeah. A little um, bit of time. I mean, he he's gonna finish at you know he's he's only missed overall a few games, but you know that comes into factor when this is a tight MVP race. Uh, but Jason Tatum, by far, I think, has been the best small forward in the entire league this season. Um, I think that he more than deservedly deserves this first team nod, and he is definitely top, top. I mean, what I, I'm saying, top five. I, I think if I'm doing MVP, he would be fourth for me. Me too. Me too. Um, so that's that's that says a lot because also Jalen Brown has been playing great um, this season too. So the fact that Tatum and Brown have been able to to do their thing with Boston and they're the number one team in the East right now. I like what they're doing. Um, my guards, Luka Doncic, I mean, he speaks for himself. The crazy thing is that Dallas is probably not going to make the playoffs at this rate. <laughs> and a big part of that has to do with, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving kind of yes, coming in there. Don't wanna, I don't want to get too deep into that. It, I mean, it, they're 2-8 and be, eight in their last 10 games. 2-8 and eight in their be, last 10 games. They lost back-to-back against Charlotte. I don't want to really get into that. So sad. Lock. Who's so your sad. other guard spot? Damien Lillard. Okay. Hold Here's on. the thing. Portland's bad. Portland's bad. I didn't want to do him. I, I didn't want to put him on my first team, but because of how bad Portland is, but I saw him drop 71 against Houston uh, in person live, and it was incredible. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a little homer, a little biased. What he's been doing in Portland this season is bar none. Damien Lillard is my number one, or not my number one, but he is my first team guard. I'm interested. Who's your other guard then on first team besides Doncic? Is it De'Aaron Fox? No, it's James Harden. As much as I hate James wow. Harden, as okay. much, and there are receipts on top of receipts of yes. my hate of James Harden as a member of the New York Net, uh, the the Brooklyn Nets, and his entire tenure from the day he got traded to the day he left to even after you knew it was. I, uh, I don't want to get into that, but what the elevation of facilitator that he is went to, and a big part of that is because of Embiid, but. And I know he's missed some time here, but the level of his play is just bar none. And I, I it was jaw until the antics. Right. And I just, I, I can't reward that type of behavior. Even though 
he Jaw's probably going to finish top five in MVP voting. I just, I personally, morally, and maybe that's wrong for me. And I, you know, I shouldn't bring morals into this, but for me, it's Harden over Jaw. So I have Luca, Harden, Giannis, Tatum, and, and Embiid. Quickly on Embiid, just 30 seconds. Embiid is this year's Harden. When mm. Harden should have won against uh, over Russ in 17, he won in 18. And everyone's saying, oh, well, Embiid should have won last year instead of Jokic. Well, Embiid's going to win this year instead of Jokic. That's just how these things work. It's kind of insane that Harden gave him the you know, playbook as to how to be the MVP the year after you were supposed to be it, which yeah, I right. think is the funny and, and, and that type of parallel. But that's my my Embiid MVP backing and, and why I think he's going to win. But Dayton, we're up against the clock. Tell the people what you got going on, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Great to be on here. Follow me on Twitter at Dayton underscore Brown underscore and at Spot Pod Network. Uh, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Uh, I'll be on soon. Yeah, I wish we were talking about your Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs, but alas, they're going to be in the the, the Wemon Yama sweepstakes. And uh, be thanks for Wemby. Friend. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, sir. On this side of the coin, out the fake Jay Leo on Twitter, jdatasports.blogspot.com, and of course, this podcast. If you reach this point, please like, subscribe, share this podcast with anybody who you seem fit. If you're new to the show, please download the show. It means more to the show than you know. Bookkeeping-wise, want to wait to the end of the podcast. You're going to get another podcast from me today. Friday, April 14th, you're getting a second podcast. So you have two podcasts this weekend from myself for your enjoyment. I will not spoil that one here you're gonna have to wait the hour or so for the next one to drop so you have that for enjoyment just to go over the schedule one more time tuesday or friday hopefully as spring turns to summer even though if you're in the new york area it's like 90 degrees today on friday it feels like summer forget spring it already feels like it's the middle of july as spring turns to summer, hopefully we can go back to two podcasts per week. But as for now, either Tuesday or Friday. So, closing time. Only for a short little while. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Peace.